And during the break, we got a lot of texts from you guys at home asking, can robots nut? Um, look for the book during my time and it turns out they can nut. Um, it's a little different from a human nutting, but it, it does happen. That's, that is confirmed by a book. So uh, all you guys at home, you people uh, texting, emailing me, robots, they can nut. Week we're going to be talking about Autonomous by Annalee Newitz. Uh, Annalee Newitz is the, I believe, editor right now of io9, which if you're not familiar with sci-fi blogs, it used to be part of the whole Gorka empire with Lifehacker and Cholmopnik and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, then when Gorka went away, it's now owned by, I guess, The Onion or someone. But and she's also the tech culture editor of Ars Technica, which is like a, a tech blog, kind of um, online-only version of Wired. She was the editor-in-chief of Gizmodo, which is also, I believe, a part, um, former Gorka alumni. Uh, she is the author of Scatter, Adapt, and Remember, How Humans Will Survive a Mass Extinction, which is a non-fiction book. I haven't read it, but it sounds really interesting. She's been in the New Yorker, the Atlantic, Wired, Smithsonian, Washington Post, uh, this goes on. And she has been a policy analyst at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, or EFF. Uh, they're kind of almost the only people trying to actually unfuck the internet. And uh, they have been for a long time, and not to denigrate their good work, but they've kind of been failing at it, because internet is getting significantly more fucked and I guess it's not really their fault but no because most of it like I don't expect the Electronic Frontier Foundation to do anything about Jake Paul existing but she also is the recipient of virtual world she has a PhD she was the lecturer in American studies so she knows her shit it's, and this is her first novel um, I don't believe she's done any published writing um, Previous uh, fiction writing previous to this, it's and it's really really good. You got to go out and buy Autonomous. It's by Tor Books. It's and it's got a, the cover is blue in the hardback. Uh, 
It's got a robot hand and some chains. You should really go out and get this book. Right on the front cover, Neil Stevenson, who he's been kind of a patchy uh, novelist lately. He his last his last but one, uh, Reamdy, as in Ream Read Me, but messed up spelling, uh, was pretty good. If you like fifteen hundred page spy novels, uh, his one previous his one that had kind of come out last year, I think it was called um, Seven Eves. Is um, starts off really really great. It's like a asteroid uh, book. Then it gets about the halfway mark. Just I don't want to throw that shit out the window. And I was listening to an audiobook, so I would lost the phone. Um, but generally, I'll listen to what Neil Stevenson has to say, and he has to say that autonomous is to biotech and AI what Neuromancer was to the internet, and that's pretty lofty praise, especially since there's you know, biotech and AI in Neuromancer. And if you've read Cyberpunk over the last 20, that's got to be like 30 years now, no, 33 years. I was born on the same year as Cyberpunk. Um, if you've read Cyberpunk, you'll be in familiar ground here. Uh, there's hacking, there's robots, capitalism is fucked, um, people are doing interesting punky things with weird drugs to unfuck it, and failing, and spoilers, they totally fail. Uh, much like in Neuromancer, and um, which is not to say that it's some um, mirror shades and leather trench coat 80s throwback. It's aware of where it comes from, and someone like Miss Newitz is going to have been brought up on the ideas that came around inside the punk and you know, working in the EFF and being around Ars Technica and IO9, she's going to be steeped in that. And that's going to that's gonna come out in her work, one way or the other. Um, and at least it's not crap like Ready Player One, which is takes some kind of conceits in Neuromancer and then fucks them bad. And you've probably seen the trailer by now. It, it looks like the worst crap imaginable. And, you know, we've had two Zack Snyder Justice League movies so far. So Autonomous. It's about uh, patent law and free will, but stay with me. So the year is 2149 for the most part. Uh, there's some flashbacks. And a biotech pirate, very literal pirate because she is in a submarine, a biotech pirate named Jack, she is, um, she makes knockoff copies of drugs. Remember Mark, Martin Shkreli? Of course you do. Um, remember him jacking up the price of a like semi-obscure pharmaceutical that uh, I think it was AIDS patients and cancer sufferers and babies needed to live? Basically that's everyone in um, the autonomous universe. Or rather it's the massive pharmaceutical corporations that kind of decide who gets to live and who dies and who gets to live a decent life because in addition to life-saving and medical drugs, there's also life-extending and um, increased focus drugs, uh, one of which, uh, Zacuity, is kind of the focus of this book. So uh, Jack doesn't normally deal with uh, pleasure drugs. She you know, wants to help people. She wants to give people the drugs they need uh, for, a decent, for a reasonable price. 
Um, unfortunately, she still has to pay the bills on her submarine, which she floats around the North Atlantic in. So she occasionally uh, pirates pleasure drugs like Security, which is a kind of like Adderall in 2149. It's designed to just make you like your job. And uh, trouble is, it works too well. People end up uh, dying at their desks because their kidneys pack in while they're studying. They end up uh, causing major catastrophes, some of which take place in Calgary, which is where I'm recording right now. And a lot of the book takes place in Canada, a lot of it in uh, Saskatchewan, um, big chunks in Calgary, um, Nova Scotia comes up quite a bit. So it's kind of nice to, and that's, that's kind of, a, I think, a, a, a little joke. Because Americans, and I think Miss Newitz is American by birth and lives there, uh, Americans look at Canada as this like uh, pharmaceutical medical wonderland where everything is free and no one has to go fund me their cancer treatments, uh, which is mostly true. Personally, I prefer the, um, the NHS to Canada's um, admittedly decent healthcare system. Uh, you can still end up paying a hell of a lot for drugs in Canada, um, especially if it's not life-threatening stuff that you need to, to pay for. And But uh, generally stuff is pretty decent. If, you, if you're on healthcare with your company, then you're not going to go bankrupt from medical costs. Even if you're not on medical insurance, then it's not terrible. It's not like the NHS where any literally anyone can get decent treatment and uh, you can you can get a nicer room if you want to pay for it if you want like an outpatient room with some flowers in then you can pay some medical insurance but you don't need to and that's silly and um, I've had like surgeries and all kinds of drugs done in the NHS paid nothing and loved every second of it but by 2149 that's going to be long gone you've got a very American style healthcare system. Uh, you've got essentially, essentially anarcho-capitalism has taken root by 2149. Uh, there's been a series of plagues um, in the end, tail end of the 21st century, and what's left is free trade zones in large parts of the world. And there's like a North American free trade zone that encompasses the US and Canada, which is where a lot of this takes place. There's an African one, which uh, there's big chunks uh, set in Casablanca, and um, in order to uh, facilitate the copyright and intellectual property regimen, there's a kind of pan-global semi-military, private military company, police force, spies, called the IPC, or the International Property Coalition. And two of the book's main characters work for the International Property Coalition as um, military contractors, and Jack, a biotech pirate, is deeply opposed to them, and there are a few characters who are civilians in that kind of world, and we'll get to them in a minute. So the two people working for the IPC are Elias, who is a human, with some vague cybernetic stuff going on, and uh, a character called Paladin, and Paladin's a robot, uh, kind of vaguely described, I don't really, I can't picture in my head what Paladin looks like, except that uh, she or he or it has um, Kind of wing-like shields. Otherwise, don't really know what Paladin looks like, but probably a kick-ass cool robot. And Paladin and Elias are tasked with um, tracking down Jack because the security drug that Jack has pirated 
is uh, Kilimpete. So uh, it's Paladin's first ever field test. He's a rookie. She's a rookie. Gender is the thing that's going to come up. Uh, Elias is like a hardened veteran of murdering people for money. And they avoid a lot of the uh, buddy cop cliches by uh, falling in love. Um, and that's gonna, that's a, a thing. That's a pretty big, uh, I'm gonna even call it a subplot because it's for the Pound and Alias chapters, it kind of goes one on, one off with them. It's a pretty significant thing. Like, there are multiple, multiple pages devoted to Paladin, who is uh, like two months old, googling the word faggot, excuse me for saying that, um, because Elias uses that word to describe why he wouldn't want to have any sort of sexual contact with Paladin. And um, it's the whole uh, Brokeback Mountain meets Metal Gear Solid thing they've got going on here is, uh, yeah, it's not a big book, so it doesn't, it, even though there's uh, like multiple page stretches devoted to it, then feel like there needs to be more to get to the point where this like veteran murderous spy and his equally murderous robot uh, in their downtime are going broke back in hotel rooms. It's uh, and I keep saying broke back mountain, uh, the ref reference in that film, because I initially gendered Paladin as male, um, even though biologically speaking Paladin doesn't have a gender. And that's a, a big thing in this book. Um, deciding does Paladin own Paladin's body, and therefore does Paladin get to decide what Paladin's gender is? Because a major uh, background world-building thing here is that when artificially intelligent robots get properly built, and when the technology to build artificially intelligent robots is available, the companies who make them decide that uh, they're basically giving birth to artificial persons. And it costs them their money to make all these robots, so they have to be compensated for that in some way. And to do that, uh, robots like Paladin get indentured, the novel's term, or enslaved, as it's pretty obvious from even the cover, which has a robotic hand in like old style slave manacles. It's pretty obvious that uh, it's slavery and they get indentured for 10 years to pay off their debt to the company that made them. Uh, there are a few um, robots who were built free, like uh, Med, who is a pretty significant character from like the middle of the book onwards. And lots of robots have um, their autonomy, hence autonomous. Later in the book, Paladin will go to like a, a robot zone of a city. He'll meet a lot of um, freed robots. And again, it's kind of a little semi-joke that it's Canada because it's that's where freed slaves would often end up, you know, underground railroads and so on. So, so Paladin uh, has these sexual or romantic feelings towards Elias that develop pretty early on in their relationship together. They've known each other like days. They have like a little, little moment at a firing range. And um, the type of robot that Paladin is have um, human brains in their stomach. And the human brain doesn't really do a whole lot. It's it's kind of debatable in the book whether it's there for just for show or whether it's like a little backup processor that just processes human um, facial expressions to make things a little easier for Paladin. And the brain just came from a random quote-unquote donor and later in the book, uh, spoilers on at this point by the way, uh, Paladin finds out the donor was female, hence she, now she, can have a re relationship with uh, Elias who is homophobic and you know all the ladies love 
homophobic guys. And um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, people who are way more into issues of gender and uh, even trans issues uh, than I, I am. Um, probably have a field day with this one because I get a sense that people are going to find it really problematic or like, this book explains me. And I didn't really like Elias as a character. Um, he was well written, like the all is a good written book. But uh, Elias, um, I don't think I'll, I like the guy. He, yeah, he's a homophobe, which is weird in 2149. You'd think people would have gone over that by this point. But um, he is kind of disgusted by his attraction to Paladin at first, because he can't tell whether Paladin is male or female, and once he knows that Paladin is female, he instantly click like that, falls in love, declares he always knew that there was a female energy to Paladin all the whole time. And it's like, dude, just you want to fuck robots? You're you're robosexual, you know? You're a, a Romo. That's the Futurama reference for you. Um, yeah, you, you just want to fuck a robot. And probably a lot of people do in the autonomous universe. Uh, there's never any mention of robot prostitutes I can I can think of in this book, but they're bound to exist. So yeah, he he has a he makes life unnecessarily difficult for himself by having this idiotic morality where certain people can and can't be fucked. And that um, there's no real explicit condemnation of that in the book, and at least not from Paladin, who is potentially if. Uh, what turns out to be she found out that she is was had a human uh, a male human brain inside her uh, would have been rejected by this person that uh, she loves over like this lump of goo in uh, her stomach that just processes facial expressions Paladin could have gendered itself as as anything like the other robots don't some of them have gender some don't uh, med is gendered female there are some that are mosquitoes, there are some that are like robot praying mantises. And um, yeah, the, the autonomous ones can just be whatever they want and are usually non, not gendered at all. Uh, and I was kind of hoping that um, by the end at least, Paladin would realize Elias is kind of an asshole and is anthropomorphizing, that word comes up a lot here in the book, um, Paladin, uh, and has a ton of issues, which some of them get explained in the book as long-standing psychological damage that this hired killer uh, would have. But some of it's just down to Elias being a dick. He shouldn't be a dick. Don't be dicks, people. Fuck robots if you want to fuck robots. It's all okay. It's the 21st century. It, one day it'll be the 22nd and you'll get a properly do this. So there's another uh, side to the plot that also concerns uh, sex. So uh, Jack, the biotech pirate. Her submarine gets attacked by literal pirates uh, quite early on in the book and the literal pirate wants to jack her, wants to steal her drugs and is has brought along his slave who's a guy named Free Zed, as in Free Zero, uh, because slaves in the Asian zone which where Free Zed's from uh, get numbered instead of named and Jack kills the pirate and kind of inherits uh, Freezed, and he's like a good-looking kind of almost courtesan type um, guy and they start fucking pretty much immediately and um, she she's meant to be a good character she's she's often you know she's heroic she's doing a, a good thing 
she's got all the markers of a good uh, of a hero character. But uh, with her relationship with Freezed, um, because the guy has never, literally never in his life experienced autonomy. He is he was a a, sl- a slave from birth. His parents gave him up into slavery, and he has been passed around master to master his whole life, and has never really experienced what it's like to think for himself and not be in that situation. Uh, we find out a little later that he's been writing a successful blog about his sexy adventures, moving from master to master and so on, and um, obviously indicates he's got yeah, quite a bit of self-awareness, but the way he writes about himself is with this kind of resigned cynicism. Uh, he's, he's only in his early 20s, and he, but he's talking about himself like he's late period Samuel Beckett or something, but with more fucking. I don't think Samuel Beckett fucks. Um, so yeah, Jack put in this person who has very little ability to give consent into this almost sex slave relationship for a pretty big chunk of the book until she just kind of kicks him to the curb because he's slowing her down when she's trying to run away from um, when she's on the run from uh, Elias and Paladin. It uh, doesn't speak well to her character. But um, on the other hand, this is a an anarcho-capitalist future. And one of the things that gets not brought up, but is a constant subtext, is constantly there, like the sound of an air conditioning unit in the background, or whatever the hell's in the background of this recording. This constant thing is that you can't really break out of something this huge and ubiquitous. Jack, in um, she tries to rebel against the system, she tries to sell people uh, drugs that are fairly priced, and to do that she has to sell them chemicals that they get addicted to and ends up killing hundreds and hundreds of people with her knockoff drugs. Uh, she also feels nothing about sex slaving Freezed as soon as he turns up, almost. Uh, she's nice to him, uh, they watch movies together, but um, she eventually buys his autonomy and um, his uh, franchise, to use the, book in the, the term in the book, and he gets, he ends up just kind of bumming around. He has some crappy job, he audits some courses in a university, he watches movies, he's kind of adrift. It's kind of, it's almost, I don't want to say he's like, his life is worse now, he's not a slave, but he's, he was like a successful blogger and almost an idol to other uh, slaves uh, because of his cynicism and because of his observations of what it's like to be a slave. And again, after he has his freedom, he falls into anime and despair and pro depression. He ends up, um, there's a kind of hint he ends up with the uh, other robots, the nicer robot, Med, but uh, it's only a hint. It's late in the book, so retroactive spoilers for that one. Yeah, there's, uh, I'm going to go into Catholicism in this book in uh, kind of the second half here, because it's, uh, it's, it's thorny. And um, this is a deeply, deeply anti-capitalist book. Um, and Lee Nowitz's career has been all through, uh, has been uh, resisting capitalism in ways big and small all through her career. And it's, uh, yeah, this is a very, very anti-capitalist book. And people are, are liking that about it. And it doesn't pull any punches. Um, a lot of the hackers and people you think are heroes, like I just said with Jack, uh, they turn out to be assholes. They turn out to be either totally useless and compromised, or they turn out to be just jerks who are very 
little removed from people like the IPC and, and I guess some power that the only thing difference they have is lack of resources. And um, the people who are in the system, like uh, Med, who is a, basically just a doctor and also a freed robot, um, she eventually try, does what she can to stop the um, security epidemic almost from spreading. She comes up with a cure for it and ends up just a boring research chemist in a in a university for her trouble. She can't even uh, blame the company behind it who unleashed a deadly drug on the world. There's very much you can't fight the system in this, which is a a big which is a big thing in cyberpunk. And can't really think of any cyberpunk novels or films, comics, video games where you do people do affect a lasting in positive change of the system. Things either continue to go to shit like they always do, or Neo Tokyo explodes like the end of Akira. It's um it's a mark of the genre, sure. And yeah, I'm sure there's some out there that have positive endings. Paladin and Elias get to fly off two miles together to live a beautiful life together on maybe a farm or something. Uh, so they get a happy ending, even though they've pretty much murdered their way across the prairies to get to that point. And um, it speaks to something I've probably said before, one of my favourite little sayings. We can imagine the end of the world, or all these dystopias, or all these strange, terrible permutations of capitalism. We can't imagine there not being capitalism. So before we go into a big old thing on capitalism and autonomous, let's do some metals. Let's do something from Infrared Horizon by Artificial Brain. Uh, these guys are a little death metal quartet, septet, I don't know. They're on Profound Law Records, which is surprising I haven't played anything by them. Surprising I haven't, it's surprising I haven't played anything by Profound Law before in the show, because they put out so much good stuff. Like, I don't think they ever, ever put out a band I didn't like. This, uh, I think Bellwitch. Uh, on them, uh, Portal, let's see who else we got, Purient, Monarch, Full of Hell, Loss, Impetuous Ritual, Ashbora, Worm Ouroboros, Auroch, Great Miasma, Psalm Zero, Dalek, uh, if you're into like weird rap, uh, Cobalt, if you're into like semi-problematic black metal, uh, Pissgrave, Pissgrave is on them. Loves me some Pissgrave. Who doesn't like Pissgrave? Uh, Leviathan, if you're into really problematic black metal. Uh, Bostinaig, if you're into black metal I can't pronounce. Witch Mountain are on them. Lord Mantis. Or Sub Rosa. I mean, it's just like all the good bands are on Profound War. And um, Artificial Brain, no exception because they are really good. They're so they black metal that's, kind of, it's very technical, but um, it's very also guttural and uh, ugly sounding. You, you, you'll, you'll see how it sounds. This is a third track of Infrared Horizon, which has a picture of a robot on the cover, so thematically appropriate for this. It's called Static Shattering, it's on Profound Law. Uh, this 
album, uh, which is produced by uh, Colin Marson, who's in uh, Gorguts and This Roof Mirror and Kralis. Um He's a pretty good, cool guy. And if you like Gorguts and This Roof Mirror, then you'll like this. And um, yeah, like their previous record, um, Labyrinth Constellation, didn't it made it onto a lot of um, end of it made onto a lot of best of. 2015-16 lists and Infrared Horizon didn't. Um, I think it's probably just because 2017 there's a lot of good stuff coming out and even though this isn't a huge uh, step up above Labyrinth Constellations it's still really really good record so spin on Bandcamp at the, at the very least. Uh, it's on Profound Law's own Bandcamp. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. So this is Static Shattering. <laughs> Thank you. 
was Artificial Brain with uh, Track Off Infrared Horizon, and we're joined in the studio by a snowplow guy outside driving this like tank thing around my parking lot. That's really good because if he's driving a tank, he's a troop, and everything the troops do is good. So, autonomous. Now, about capitalism, this book is against it pretty emphatically. And I don't want to uh, authorial intent this, but um, I'm going to guess Annalie Newitz is not a huge fan either. Um, she's works for the EFF, obviously, who are basically getting a crash course in how badly capitalists are going to fuck one of humanity's greatest resources, uh, being the internet. It would be electronic frontier. I just got that. That's clever. Um, and she's written about, uh, well, a previous book was called Pretend We're Dead, Capitalist Monsters in American Pop Culture. You know, she's, so, as I said previously, this kind of partakes of the whole cyberpunk thing. And because of that, it's not going to give you a happy ending. And more, more than that, it's not going to point to a possible way out for these characters of their kind of crappy lives because there's not going to be a way out without busting up capitalism. And even the characters who come out of this the best, um, actually they, they all kind of, in their way, come out of this situation pretty okay. Uh, like I said, Paladin and Elias uh, fly off to Mars together to live on a kind of colony out there. I guess kind of shades of um, one of my favourite shows, The Expanse. I don't know if you guys are watching that, it's on sci-fi. It's um, kind of gaming. Game of Thrones in space is the easiest way to describe it, but also so much better than Game of Thrones. So, so much. And um, I guess there's a colony on Mars that needs some help, needs some frontier type doings up there, and a robot and a tough dude would probably go down pretty well there. So they get to fly off together and have, uh, they get to nut all over Mars. And. Um, Freezed and Med kind of semi, as I've said, kind of semi end up together a little, it's hinted. But his life is now, he gets a job and it's free insofar as he can pick which job he does. And she also has a job. She's the head of a research place now. And um, Jack is stealing kelp from an offshore kelp farm. You know, really, really won this one. But she's also free in the sense that she's an, she's an outlaw. Uh, I'm guessing the IPC is not going to look the other way on this and maybe they'll send more dudes after her. Um, but she's she's going to be on the run her entire life stealing kelp. And uh, no, everyone comes out of this as best as they could. And when I first came to the end of this, I thought, okay, it's a kind of happy ending. And then I realized it's a happy ending within the horizons of capitalist realism. Uh, that's a term I didn't coin just now, because I didn't do that. It's um, a book by a guy called Mark Fisher. Uh, he's an interesting dude. You probably want to look up. Um, a little controversial for one of his um, essays. Oh, oh, our friend Snowplow guy is chipping in. Um, one of his essays, uh, Exiting the Vampire Castle, was um, kind of uh, written against, um, not identity politics, but... Um, what we'd now call performative wokeness in left politics. You know, the whole, um, remember that tweet, uh, the right wants to put everyone in camps, liberals 
hire more women guards. Um, that kind of that kind of wokeness. Uh, I am recording this as the Golden Globes are happening, so I'm seeing there's going to be a lot of uh, stuff about how Hollywood is performing wokeness right now, and that that's coming in the future. I'll probably be with you by the time you hear this. Maybe there'll, there'll be some horrific takes. I've already seen a few. Um, one guy says, why is Natalie Portman talking about how there are no male directors when women only directed 7% of films? It's just like, yeah, dude, that's what she's talking about. That's the point. And he's been schooled about that by like a thousand people by now. He's getting ratioed hard over that one. Um, anyway, Mark Fisher. Um, so he wrote a book for Zero Books called Capitalist Realism and to break down a lot of um, theory with a capital T, it basically says capitalism, one of its great strengths is that it is good at defining what is and isn't realistic. It's not realistic to go live on a commune. It's not realistic to have a cooperative business as opposed to a LLC. It's not realistic to think outside of the limits of capitalism. Uh, Slavov Zizek talks about this as well. A lot of people do. Um, you could probably argue that the Frankfurt School was kind of highly concerned with this with this issue. Why they decided to this whole cultural Marxist turn. And the end of autonomous is if you're if you're just uh, a normie, um, and I'm sure a lot of you are. There's no shame in that. Um, you're not going up against the wall. One day we'll we'll just like send you off to Mars to settle it and hopefully if a lot of you survive they'll be fine. Um, if you're a normie you'll read the end of Autonomous and you'll think cool everyone even the kind of semi-baddies Elias and Paladin who kill and torture a heck ton of people that they're they're, uh, they're doing okay, Jack's doing okay, Men and Freeze are all doing okay. Uh, the baddies in um, Zaxi, the pharmaceutical company that made security this dangerous drug, uh, they're kind of getting punished. They're probably going to take security off the market, so they are slap on the wrist, at least. So it's all good. But for the eye that has brains, like mine, we realize that it's only good insofar as that's the best outcome under capitalism. And it's even said at the end, to uh, Med, who wants to talk about that security is, is dangerous to people, that it's causing people to work their jobs so hard they die. Um, she's told to, to be realistic. She can produce a, um, a cure for, for security, but she can't talk about how and why this is all happening. So that's the closest it comes to out-and-out acknowledging this stuff, but uh, for woke people like me, we know that it's a very cyberpunkian ending, and it's a very uh, noir ending. I hate saying that because it comes out as noir. You know, it's forget about it, Ray. It's Chinatown. No one really wins at the end of uh, Raymond Chandler book. Maybe a bad guy will go to jail or be killed, but um, there's still going to be a million bad guys. It's never the it's never the boss. It's always the second down from the boss. The the systems goes untroubled by the whole thing. And that's, yeah, that's all over Autonomous. And who knows, maybe there'll be sequels, maybe there'll be an uprising, a slave rebellion, 
Um, I was actually, um, when I first tweeted about uh, that I was going to do this book, um, Miss Newitt was nice enough to at me on Twitter and we, um, I mentioned something like, it's not a slave narrative, and she said, you know, it would be cool if there was some sci-fi slave narratives. And I can't for the life of me pick, I can't think of a specific one. There's always, uh, when there's robot uprisings, there's always a, a hint of that, but otherwise, no. There's, there's no... Uh, there's no real slave narratives in sci-fi that, that I know of. There's probably a ton because it's a vast and infinite genre. And in fantasy, there's probably tons more. And I can see why people would be very wary of them. It's that um, that criticism that often gets leveled at, say, uh, the, the X-Men. That uh, you know, it puts on the garb of being about civil rights or uh, black liberation or LGBTQ matters. But really, it's a bunch of people with laser beam eyes in spandex, and it's not. If you you wanted to talk about uh, do a Black Lives Matter X Men thing, just do it. Just have black people do it. You don't need mutants as a stand-in for all the different minorities. And I can I can see why that's a that's a tempting point to make. Um, my kind of semi half-hearted counter to that is that for the people reading X Men. Um, or autonomous, or a ton of different sci-fi stuff where it's not uh, black people being enslaved, it's everyone and robots, it's not LGBTQ people being discriminated against, it's mutants. Um, that allows a wider range of people to see themselves in it. And although there's like a, a billion stories you have to tell within the confines of a particular race or sexuality or a minority group, you can you can tell a story that like anyone can see themselves in. That's, that's more intersectional that way. You know, it's um, there's going to be some gay black kids picking up X Men, and they'll see themselves in it more than if it was a certain facet of their identity. Uh, so I think there's a case to be made that you can, you know, still within the confines of being uh, respectful and not a complete douche like that guy who wrote that uh, white guy who wrote that uh, underground airlines book you know about um, I guess it was like a modern day you know, slavery still around like that uh, confederate states of America that the uh, Game of Thrones um, people have chosen as their hill to die on you know don't, don't do that that's shitty don't do it but um, you know, I'm sure maybe maybe I'll look on the book stands a few years from now and there'll be a really awesome slave narrative by Emily Newitz. Uh, maybe it'll be in the autonomous universe because I'd, I'd like to know, I'd like to stay around that universe. It's a really, it's got potential to uh, go a series as just as The Expanse did and be this like um, smart, politically engaged, sci-fi kind of serial, not epic because this is very not epic. It, it's it's like, um, it's noir stuff. It's um, slubby, dirty outsiders getting way of their heads and having to dig themselves out while corrupt institutions rain shit on them. Yeah. And, which is a cool as hell premise for literally anything. I don't want to be totally effusive from my praise of Autonomous. I, it's not beautifully written. There are some points, especially the points where um, Paladin's uh, thinking about sex, that are really, really interesting in the way they're constructed. And basically, there's a, a firefight about a quarter of the book in, where 
uh, Paladin and Elias are fighting for their lives against a bunch of terrorists. Well, they were called terrorists. They're pharmaceutical pirates like Jack. And um, it's, a, it's a violent, nasty bloodbath where these two trained mercenaries, one of whom is like a seven-foot-tall, indestructible robot, are fighting against a bunch of students who want to sell people drugs for cheap and a couple of slave D-level mercenaries, whereas Elias and um, Aladdin are S-plus level mercenaries. And they get slaughtered, naturally, but uh, all, the, all the while, Paladin is thinking about sex, and it's thinking about, it's looking up, have robots and humans ever done it online? And uh, just finding a bunch of gross porn. Uh, he's looking up the definition of the word faggot, because he gets called that. He's, uh, so it's a really interesting scene, bouncing around between a firefight and Googling sex, like you're eight years old, and this one kid in class has just told you about boners. So that, those parts are really good. The only problem I have on a kind of craft level is the dialogue. It's never bad in the way that American Wars was bad, real bad. It's never that got that like literary fiction uh, sheen to it where it just sounds so not how people talk. I can't give you examples but uh, if you try and live in God, which I talked about a little earlier series of podcasts, is um, kind of has that. Um, but it's not it's not great dialogue either, and I think the the crux of the problem is that the characters don't sound distinct enough from each other. Uh, the Paladin and the other robots are a little more beep boop Palmer robot than the humans. Uh, Elias is a little rougher and brusker, but only sometimes. And honestly, if you if you cut out all the um, narration in this and just had dialogue, it'd be so hard to tell who is a, a former sex slave turned blogger and who is a middle class PhD having free robot and who is a pharmaceutical pirate who hangs out on a submarine under Nova Scotia and who is a grizzled mercenary who has weird sexy feelings about his robot. You know, and it, it's such a fine line to walk with dialogue because you don't want to reduce your characters to a bunch of uh, ticks. You don't want to say, oh, he's cool, he must be a reggae surfer, bro, hang ten. Um, yeah, you, if you go too far, every character comes off as a cliche, or, or worse, they come off as... If you ever read the Game of Thrones books, they keep remind... Every character keeps reminding you that they're a, a eunuch or a dwarf or something. It's a really annoying trait in that book. That and all the food. Uh, there's not much food in this. There's just a lot of drugs. So that... but... that's... that's a quibble. If she had a slightly different editor, maybe it would be sorted out. And it's doesn't kill the book. Gets it from 100% to 99% for pedants like me who have read slush piles for agencies and overanalyze every tiny little thing. And my opinion doesn't matter, so what the hell. Yeah, it's got Neil Stevenson talking about how great it is on the cover. It's got uh, Cory Doctorow, William Gibson, uh, Charles Yu. It's got a ton of great, a ton of people love this. Um, I read, uh, speaking of books that aren't well written, uh, don't get myself any shit here with uh, sci-fi fans, but um, between this and, uh, what was it, I think Spassing Nero's War, I semi-accidentally started reading uh, Rapture of the Nerds by Cory Doctorow and 
Charles Stross, um, and really didn't get on with that one. Oh boy, that pissed me off and got maybe a third of the way in. And, and I was like staying with my in-laws over Christmas and I needed my brain to be anywhere but there and I still didn't want it to be in Rapture of the Nerds. It's, um, and I'm going to summarize it, uh, it reads like um, Bad Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Warren Ellis, who's a comic book writer who I used to love, like he used to pick up everything he ever did, then I just got pissed off and just got sick of him. It's um, it's a book like mired in the early days of the internet, and you can kind of tell that one of uh, Doctor O is one of the um, founders of Boing Boing, uh, which is a site like Warren Ellis. I used to be all over, and I've just kind of gotten sick of it now. I'm just getting old. Actually, no, I'm not getting old. I could have stayed the exact same age and feel the same. What's happened is the internet has gotten shit. It's gone from being this tool of liberation where People go on BBSs and learn about the Church of the Subgenius and the Illuminatus trilogy, which is also shit, by the way. And it has become a monstrous totalitarian nightmare that consumes every second of every day for everyone. Um, I realize you're currently on it listening to a podcast. But hopefully you're doing something else. Hopefully you're exercising or walking in nature or something. In which case... Um, in which case, I should let you do that. I should leave you with a, a warning not to read Rapture of the Nerds. It's not very good. It's probably, it's worse than Ready Player One. Wow. I believe that such cold, cruel world words came out of my mouth, but they did. It's worse than that. It's, it's more annoying than that. And we're talking about Ready Player One here. Um, so I'll leave you that, that warning and advice that you should pick up autonomous um, even if you're into literary fiction give this one a go you won't be disappointed It'll, it shouldn't take you too long it's a nice and breezy read and it, hopefully you'll get to the end and realize oh shit capitalism that sucks it sucks so bad and i'm stuck in it and i have to live in a fascist state run by my boss eight hours a day then i get to come home and decide which products constitute my identity yeah capitalism sucks but it's better podcast than this one for telling you that so let's sign off with those warnings and advice and some music now if you listen to an earlier episode uh, i played a song by a malefic levitation i think that was on the um American War episode. Uh, Malefic Levitation, brilliant, you should check them out. But they're on a label called Sentient Ruin Laboratories from uh, Oakland, I believe it is. And I love Pro Profound Law, who I spoke about earlier. And I might probably love Sentient Ruin more. Um, they're far more underground, they take a lot more risks. Profound Law have a rap group on their metal label. But Sentient Ruin have a uh, friendship who I'm, I really want to play in a future episode because I love this band okay it's nastiest hardcore you'll ever hear um, there's Necrot Petrification uh, Feral Lights Wake Calgary Homeboys Vastum who again I, I really want to play I want to find a book that's about sex and play some Vastum songs 
And this autonomous was kind of about sex, but I wanted it to be all about fucking. And we're going to play some vast and then pink mass. You have my word on that. Uh, check them out preemptively. But uh, they've just come out, or they're going to come out, with some tapes of all things and some uh, vinyls as well, of an uh, album called Sedation by a guy, his real name is T. Messing. He was in uh, Nux Vomica, their kind of cross-punk band, they're, they're good. Um, for like Amoebics, guys like that, uh, Nux Vomica are also very good. But he went this like total other direction um, with this little side project called Rotten Sky. And that came out in 2014, a limited run of 100 tapes on a grindery cassette culture, which is a tape label that's now uh, now gone. And I don't know how, I mean, I, I get underground cred um, and everything, but I don't know how you could record something as good as this and want 100 people to hear it. Because uh, Sedation is amazing. And I've heard one song, the song you're about to hear. There's four songs on this. Um, it's, I guess, black metal. It's also drone. It's also industrial. There's also clean singing. There's guitar noise everywhere. It's such a solo project and it doesn't sound like literally anything else. It sounds like it could only have come from T-Messing from Luxwamica and no one else in the world could ever record something like this. There's a few artists working in metal who can say that off. Um, probably uh, A Pregnant Light is a band you could definitely say that off. Damien Master, the sole member of Pregnant Light, is a character. Cool, very cool guy. He runs a label called Colloquial Sound Recordings, who also worth checking out. But um, Sedation by Rotten Sky, it's it's gonna be amazing, and I really hope uh, Mr. Messing just goes all out on this. And we're gonna listen to a song called Tyrants of Sedation. It's Twelve minutes long. You can see that from the timer, but it's gonna be worth it. Next week, we're gonna talk about Made for Love by Lisa Nuttin. Uh, she came out with a book called Tampa a few years back, and that kind of um, it was about pedophilia from a woman's, well, female teacher's perspective. Uh, the female teacher being the pedophile in question, it was really good, um, provocative as fuck. Probably one of the few books that's come out lately that the people have been like, ooh, questioning their collars and stuff about, and that barely happens anymore. Uh, Made for Love is kind of a thriller. It's funny. I haven't read it yet, but um, it's also about sex robots and it's about Google and it's got a lot of best of 2017 lists. So we'll be reading that. And coming up in the future, there's, let me see, um, what are the going to uh, There's Alt America. Um, there's a book called The Power, which is about. What if girls could zap you with their hands? There's also there's also Exit West. Um, that's one that was recommended to me uh, by Barack Obama, who recommended that to me personally on Facebook. Um, and personally, and to everyone who looks at his Facebook feed. Um, I don't know if I like it. I think maybe not. But I'm going to go in with an open mind. Um, but until we get to that point, we've got 12 minutes of Rotten Sky playing uh, Tyrant of Sedation off Sedation on Sentient Ruin. And it's so good. I can't say enough good things about this song. Just listen to it and love it and stop what you're doing. 
like press the emergency button on the treadmill and just stand there and cry um, and when people ask you what's happening just tell them um, you know, sedation by rotten sky they'll know what you mean <laughs>